Is American democracy imperiled? Are some of our most precious freedoms being eroded? Is America shaking its fist at God? One of the most eloquent spokesmen on the scene today who is addressing these questions is a man named Rafael Cruz, the father of U.S. Senator Ted Cruz. Stay tuned for an interview with him. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I am very excited to have as our special guest today a very articulate man of God, Rafael Cruz, the father of one of the United States uh, Senators from Texas, Ted Cruz. Mr. Cruz, welcome to the set. We are Dr. Reagan, it's such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. And also on the set with me today is my colleague Nathan Jones, who serves as our web minister and associate evangelist. Nathan, glad to have you. Great to be on. Why don't you kick this thing off for us? Well, sir, it's a great pleasure to have you on Nathan, the show. It's great to be with you, too. You have an incredible life story. I want to hear about how you escaped Cuba and living under two dictators, right? Well, you know, uh, well, I grew up under a very oppressive military dictatorship. And uh, during the seven years Batista was a uh, dictator, he killed over 20,000 people. Wow. And so the revolution started in the high schools and the universities. Oh. I remember during that time there was this young charismatic leader talking about hope and change. <laughs> His name was Fidel Castro. Oh, I thought you were talking about <laughs> someone else. <laughs> and so we, uh, I got involved in the revolution, and, uh, and uh, as a result of that I was captured, was imprisoned, was tortured. Tortured. But, mm-hmm. you know, even though I didn't know God, he knew me. And... Uh, by the grace of God, I was able to leave Cuba legally on a student visa. Came to the University of Texas, late 1957, still thinking that Castro was a good guy. Well, 1959, when Castro took over, I went back to Cuba at the end of the summer. And did I have a shock? Because this same man that had been talking about hope and change was now talking about how the rich were evil, about how they oppressed the poor, and about the need to redistribute the wealth. Mm. They began confiscating private property, began attacking freedom of the press, began attacking freedom of religion. To give you an idea, soldiers would come into a kindergarten class and would say to the kids, all right, kids, close your eyes and pray to God for candy. Where's the candy? No candy. All right, close your eyes again and pray to Fidel for candy. And while the kids had their eyes closed, very quietly they would place candy on all the desks. You know, I, was, I mentioned this story a few years ago at, at, a, at a meeting, and a lady from Romania told me Ceausescu did identically the same thing. You hmm. see, communism, socialism, Marxism, it's all the same. Let's not get caught in the semantics. It needs for government to become your god. And in order to do that, they must destroy the concept of God. That's what's behind all this attack on Christianity that we're seeing today in America. Well, uh, as I was telling you before we went on the air, I had the opportunity to go to Cuba a few years ago to uh, teach at a, uh, at a uh, seminary there. 
And I tell you, I've been all over Eastern Europe and all over Russia before the communis uh, communism fell. And I never saw a society so depressed as Cuba, where people just felt like they had no hope, uh, where they were living in mass poverty. The middle class was destroyed by Absolutely. Castro. People don't understand that when he came in, he just confiscated everything. Absolutely. And, and you know, most people don't really understand this myth about everybody's equal under communism. They're all equally poor, right? That's right. Well, they are really three classes. You know, okay. they, the government, they all live like millionaires because they confiscated everybody's wealth. Then you have the army who are the enforcers, and then you have the people, and it is true, Nathan. Mm -hmm. They are equal. They all equally starve. Well, when I was at the seminary, I, I looked across the street and I noticed there was a little grocery store, and next to the grocery store there was a, a, a sign on a door that talked about this was the uh, neighborhood uh, uh, watch, uh, something. I, I don't remember the title of it. And I asked somebody, and they said, oh, that's where the person has his office who watches our neighborhood. And they watch everything in the neighborhood. It said all of Cuba is divided into these. And if they see anything that changes, anything that looks like people have some money that they shouldn't have had, they report this and they get rewarded for it. So you've got somebody watching you all the time. Absolutely. They have a person on every block who is the spy for that block. And then every six blocks, they have one guy watching those six guys. <laughs> and it's all that way. So, and as a matter of fact, they even have a food police. You see, every bit thing is rationed in Cuba. To give you an idea, meat rationed to a half a pound per person per month. We eat a half a pound of meat in one sitting. Mm -hmm. That's a monthly ration. Now, you still have to buy it. But... What happens is people hoard uh, food or they, they trade food and so on and so forth. And if they catch you with additional food, you'll be put in jail. They call that hoarding. Hoarding. Put in jail for food. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I, one of your comments that you make over and over, and I've read this many times, is I am standing up against certain dangerous trends in America because... If America goes the way of Cuba, there's no place to flee to. Absolutely. I must have told my son that a dozen times. You know, Ted, when I lost my freedom in Cuba, I had a place to come to. Yes. If we lose our freedoms here, where are we going to go? There is no place to go. And where is there a place like the country you came to at that time where you, an immigrant who arrives with, what, $100? <laughs> and you and you start going to school and and you're giving all the opportunities that you've had and then you have a son who running for president of the United States. I mean this is this is unbelievable. Well that's the greatness of America. You know, America is the is the greatest country on the face of the earth. How dare our president say this is not an an you know, an, an exceptional country. This is the most exceptional country in the face of the earth. Well, we spent most of his time going around the world apologizing to everybody in the world for America. And, and he, you know, we're the ones that in World War II defeated the Nazis. Absolutely. And, and yet we're apologizing? And, and you know, I, I love America so much. You know, this is the only country on the face of the earth founded on the Word of God. Yes. yes. Founded by men and women seeking the freedom to serve God. And, and yet, you know, and we've seen how God has used America. America has evangelized the rest of the yes, world. Yes, that's yeah. right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, let's take a break here, just a brief break, and we'll come back. And I want to uh, have you address some of the questions that I raised at the beginning of the program, some of the dangers that exist in America today. 
Welcome back to Christ and Prophecy with our interview of Rafael Cruz, the father of Senator Ted Cruz. Mr. Cruz, I'd like to get into this by mentioning the fact, as you just told us, that you've lived under two dictatorships. One is a fascist dictatorship like Batista, another communist dictatorship like Castro. So you know firsthand about tyranny. Now, based on that knowledge, what warnings would you give to the American people today about dangerous trends in America? Well, you know, uh, in a sense, you could say I was fortunate in that I, was, I saw my freedoms taken away just like that. Here in America, our freedoms have been eroded a little at a time. It's like the old story of the frog, you know. You put a frog in a pot of hot water, it'll jump right out. But you put it in a pot of cold water and put it in the stove, and you can boil that frog to death. And that's what's happening to us. Our freedoms are being taken away a little at a time, and we keep taking it. I remember in the late 70s, I saw a country here in America, I saw a government begin to institute policies that reminded me of that bearded dictator in Cuba. Like what? You remember the Carter years, 22% interest rates, mm -hmm. double-digit inflation, double-digit unemployment, a government so weak in foreign policy that Iran had captured 52 Americans and kept them hostage for 444 days. And our response was to say, we won't participate with you in the Olympics. Right. <laughs> and anyway, it was because I saw the socialism in Jimmy Carter's time that I became very involved in an organization called the Religious Roundtable. Okay. Religious Roundtable was a Judeo-Christian organization that together with Moral Majority, that was Jerry Falwell's organization, we mobilized millions of Christians in America to help elect whom I consider the greatest president since Abraham Lincoln, President Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. So I would say my son was nine years old. Mm -hmm. Our conversation around the dinner table every day was as to why we had to get rid of this socialist, progressive Jimmy Carter and replace him with a Christian constitutional conservative like Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. my son got a dose of conservative <laughs> politics from a Christian worldview every day for a year when he was nine years old. And what you said there is so important, a Christian worldview. Absolutely. I find most Christians don't even know what a worldview is, much less what a Christian worldview is. What, how would you define a Christian worldview? Well, you know, the Bible says if our foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? You know, the wonderful thing about America is America was founded on the foundation of the Word of God. Yes. As a matter of fact, I submit to you that the reason our Constitution and the Declaration of Independence have lasted over two centuries is because those documents were forged on the knees of the framers. They were, and they recognized fully the nature of man. Our, our Constitution recognizes the true nature of man, that man cannot be trusted. There has to be checks. There have to be balances. And, and our founding fathers did not trust man because they were men steeped in the Scriptures. And the Scriptures say man is basically evil. Absolutely. Humanists say, oh, no, no, he's basically good, you know, and can be trusted. Most of these men were very wealthy men, and they, you know, it's amazing they didn't found an oligarchy or something of that nature. But no, they didn't trust themselves. It was based upon Christian viewpoints. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite uh, quotes from, uh, from uh, uh, Jefferson, he said, the Constitution is like chains to bind the mischief of government. Yes. 
Well, that's why the, we have the Second Amendment. A lot of people think with gun control we'll stop crime. But isn't actually the Second Amendment more to protect Americans from their own government? Absolutely. And, and, and as a matter of fact, if we look at history, you know, Santillana once said, if we fail to learn the lessons of history, that's we're right. doomed to repeat them. Look at all the tin horn dictators that have taken guns away. Stalin took the guns away, killed 20 million people. Yeah. Mao took the guns away, killed like 50 million people. So did Pol Pot, so did Castro. Every dictator so that Hitler, has yeah. taken the way, guns away has used them against the population. That's right. Mm. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd like for us to uh, take a look at a little brief video that was done by a renowned professor of, at the business school at Harvard University and uh, get your response to it. Sure. Some time ago, I had a conversation with a Marxist economist from China. He was coming to the end of a Fulbright Fellowship here in Boston. And I asked him if he had learned anything that was surprising or unexpected. And without any hesitation, he said, yeah, I had no idea how critical religion is to the functioning of democracy. The reason why democracy works, he said, is not because the government was designed to oversee what everybody does, but rather democracy works because most people, most of the time, voluntarily choose to obey the law. And in your past, most Americans attended a church or a synagogue every week, and they were taught there by people who they respected. My friend went on to say that Americans followed these rules because they had come to believe that they weren't just accountable to society, they were accountable to God. My Chinese friend heightened a vague but nagging concern I've harbored inside that as religion loses its influence over the lives of Americans, what will happen to our democracy? Where are the institutions that are going to teach the next generation of Americans that they too need to voluntarily choose to obey the laws. Because if you take away religion, you can't hire enough police. Well, he ends that video with the statement, if you take away religion, you cannot hire enough police. What is your response to that? Well, absolutely. You know, what happens is this, when you destroy I would say Christianity more than religion. Mm -hmm. What takes its place is another religion which is called secular humanism. Okay. Mm -hmm. And secular humanism basically says there is no God, you're your own God. So under that premise, there are no moral absolutes. As a matter of fact, their mantra is if it feels good, do, do it. it. <laughs> so you see a lot of chaos, a lot of immorality, a lot of corruption, and it is... It is a situation that deteriorates more and more and more. That's what we see in America today. Well, I was just going to say, you and I are the, of the age where we have witnessed in our lifetimes the deterioration of America. When I was a kid growing up, we uh, did Bible readings in school. We prayed in school. Our English reader was made up of Bible stories. Absolutely. We were taught morality. Uh, in 1956, when I graduated from Waco High School, on any given day, there were a hundred pickup trucks in the parking lot, and every pickup truck had a gun rack, and there was a deer rifle, and there was a shotgun, and there was a 22 rifle, and usually a pistol in the glove compartment. Nobody 
was worried about that. Today we have moral pygmies killing each other over tennis shoes. Yes, yes, yes. Now it has to do with the fact that we have simply eroded our Christian standards. And as with that's happened, we have violence in the schools, we have violence in society, we see society is falling apart. What I can't understand is why people who are non-Christians cannot recognize the connection here. Well, of course, you know, what has happened is this. This so-called religion of secular humanism started as far back as 1933. There was a document printed in America in 1933. was called the Humanist Manifesto. As a matter of fact, one of the principal authors was John Dewey, considered the father of American education. He was a member of the American Communist Party. That is so-called our top educators. And then in 62, prayer is removed from school. 63, the Bible is removed from schools. The consequence of those two, those two abominable decisions of the Supreme Court, teen pregnancy skyrocketed over 500%, and so did violent crime. But the sad thing, Dr. Reagan, is the church remained silent. They called it a political issue. How can you call prayer a political issue? How can you call Bible study a political issue? Well, I remember that uh, under the military dictatorship in Poland, at one point they decided they were going to take the crucifixes out of every classroom in Poland. Every classroom had a crucifix. And the people went into the streets and said, you will do that over our dead bodies. Mm -hmm. And the communist regime said, well, okay, we'll (laughs) back off of that. But we didn't stand up. We didn't speak out. Well, I, As you say, it's happened over a long period of time. And you, and you talk about those decisions. One that just infuriates me was when the Supreme Court threw the Ten Commandments out and said you can't even have the Ten Commandments on the walls of the schools of America. And they said the reason is because the children might read them and decide to obey them. Hmm. They actually said that in the decision. Oklahoma City, in the middle of the night, they snuck the Ten Commandment monument off of the yeah. Capitol building. Yes, it just happened, as a matter of fact, this last week. But, you know, again, it is the thing that amazes me. If these atheists say they don't believe in God, why are they so afraid of the cross? Why are yes. they so afraid of the Ten Commandments? Because they know. <laughs> I mean, there's power in the cross. Yes. And absolutely. they know Absolutely. Absolutely there's power in the cross. Well, it's, a, it's, it's really strange uh, the way things have developed in this nation, a nation that was founded upon Christian principles, a nation that's been blessed like no other nation since ancient Judah, and yet we have turned our back on God. We're shaking our fist at God, and, and I think we're just begging for the destruction of God. Absolutely. But you know something? I am still very, very encouraged. Yes. I think America's best days are still ahead because, you know, there is a point to where the people of God are going to say, I can't take it anymore. I think the decision on June 26 to legalize homosexual marriage, I think the devil overplayed his hand. <laughs> because all of a sudden we have a frontal attack on the family. That's right. And the family is the fundamental unit of society. It's the very first institution that God created. Right. And as the family goes, so goes the nation. Yes. Mr. Yes. Cruz, what do you think about Christianity in the way of limiting our freedom to worship? I hear President Obama all the time saying that we have the freedom to worship, but he never says freedom of religion. There's a big difference. Oh, there's a huge difference. You see, every communist country around the world uh-huh. has freedom of worship. And the way they define worship, worship is what you do inside of a house of worship. You see, Dr. Reagan, you just went to Cuba. Inside of a church in Cuba, you can worship, 
you can evangelize inside of the church. Of course, they have they have spies there. One to thing you can't do is get up and, and deliver a sermon that criticizes the oh, no, government. No, you yeah. cri- you no. cannot create it. That's why they have yeah. spies there. But if you share the gospel on the streets, you're put in prison. Yeah. And you see, it's very, very uh, purposeful that the government, this administration talks about freedom of worship. Under freedom of worship, you may even be put in jail if you have a Bible study in your home. That's right. Wow. It sounds so good. All uh, Our president says over and over, I believe in freedom of worship. But that's not what the Constitution says. The Constitution says we have the freedom to exercise our religion. And that take, means taking it into the marketplace. It means taking it where you work. It means that you don't keep it inside a building. Absolutely. And yet that's what we're... As a matter of fact, Jesus says, you're the light of the world. Yes. But you know... Light is worthless unless you point it to darkness. We've got to take it out of the four walls of the church and take it out into the marketplace. That's so true. Yes, we had uh, at our annual conference this year, one of our speakers was uh, uh, Tim Wildman of the American Family Association. Oh, I know him well. And Tim made the comment, he says, there's so many Christians who think it's improper to get involved in politics in any way because it's such a dirty thing. But he says, isn't it amazing that we as Christians say, as good Christians we must obey the law, but we'll let pagans make the law. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, Proverbs 29.2 says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Yes. When the wicked bear through, people mourn. What happens is this, if the righteous are not running for office, if the righteous are not even voting, what is left? The wicked electing the wicked, and we get what we deserve. Well, I want to talk to you about that in just a moment. We're going to have another brief break, and we're going to come back and ask you about... Uh, uh, guidelines for voting because you have made actually made the statement that the Bible tells you how to vote. Exactly. Okay. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy and our discussion with Rafael Cruz, the father of U.S. Senator Ted Cruz. Mr. Cruz, I was reading in the Wall Street Journal that you made this quote, and it goes, the Bible tells you exactly who to vote for. Is that correct? Where did, where did you get that? Absolutely. Let me put it in context. Okay. Moses has just crossed the Red Sea, and now Moses is in the wilderness trying to govern over a million people. And Moses is going bananas. <laughs> Here comes his father-in-law, Jethro. And he says, Moses, what are you doing trying to judge people from morning till night? What you're doing is not good. And in Exodus 18.21, God speaks to Moses through Jethro. And God says, you select from among the people. Now Mm -hmm. note, Nathan, he doesn't say, I will appoint. No, no, no. You select, which is the same as you elect. You go to Deuteronomy 1.13, and he says, you choose leaders from among your people from the different tribes and I will make them rulers of you. So you elect. And then God gives four qualifications. Able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. Able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. Let's take them one at a time. Able men and women, of course. What does that mean? Well, that simply means elect men and women who are capable of doing the job. Let's stop electing the village idiot. <laughs> Qualifications. <laughs> Qualification. Number two, yeah. such as fear God. Well, if you fear God, you obey God's commands. Mm-hmm. We call that in America a Judeo-Christian ethic. What is a Judeo-Christian ethic? Well, first of all, it's a moral code of conduct. 
depicted by the last six commandments in the Decalogue, the horizontal commandments. And it is honesty, integrity, hard work, individual responsibility, the rule of law, and yes, free enterprise, and limited government. And the Bible speaks a lot about all of those. Mm -hmm. Number three, men of truth. Let me ask you this. Aren't you sick and tired of men and women of lies in yes, government? Amen. All the time. Amen. I mean, they tell you one lie to cover up the previous lie, whether it is fast and furious or the IRS or the NSA or Ebola or the missing emails or money from foreign governments or Planned Parenthood is lies upon lies upon lies. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you another question. Have you come across a candidate for public office? Telling you all these wonderful things you're going to do, only to get elected and do exactly the opposite? We see that again and again, don't we? Now, that one is easy to fix. Mm -hmm. If you just follow this rule, stop listening to their rhetoric and start looking at their record. Their actions. Start yeah. look, stop looking at what they say. Start looking at what they do and what they have done. Jesus put it this way. Ye shall know them by their fruit. It's about time we do some fruit checking. <laughs> okay, so able men, such as fear God, men of truth. Number four, hating covetousness. Yes. Something very interesting about covetousness in government is not really about money. It's about power and control. Mm -hmm. Politicians covet power, and they covet the control that power gives them over we the people. That's why we have politicians in Washington that have been there for 30 years, mm -hmm. and they want to be there another 20. They don't want to relinquish that power. Well, brother, I tell you, the, the, your advice there is wonderful. It is so desperately needed in the church today. I, I have been so upset over the fact that uh, professing Christians decide how they're going to vote on the basis of the race of the person, on the basis of the party affiliation on the basis of anything in the world except biblical principles, where do they stand on abortion, where do they stand on homosexuality, where do they stand on Israel, the, the, the biblical principles. Absolutely. And I, I, I wish I had the time to go into detail, but I know of a church in the Dallas area where the pastor got up during this last election and said, I want to tell you how to vote. He didn't tell who to vote for. He just said, you need to vote for people according to these principles. And as they're walking out, one of the deacons of the church says in a very loud voice in the lobby, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to vote for who my union leader says to vote for. Isn't that sad? That's why this nation is in the condition it's in. Sad. Vote for godly men, yes. We need to vote conviction instead of voting tradition. Good. That's a good way to end this particular discussion. But Mr. Cruz, you have blessed us so much. Yes taking time out from Thank your you, very Reagan. busy schedule. It's so great to be and with you. We Nathan. appreciate you coming here, Thank and you. I pray that God will continue to anoint you as you speak all across this nation about the dangers to America. Folks, that's our program for this week. I hope you'll be back with us next week, the Lord willing. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. All of the powerful presentations presented at our 2015 Bible Conference are available in a video album complete with three DVDs and six 50-minute presentations. The album is titled Messages for a Rebellious Nation, and all six of the presentations it contains are related to that theme. The album can be yours for a gift of $25 or more, including the cost of shipping. And again, the album contains three DVDs with a total of six 50-minute presentations. You might also want to consider ordering a copy of Dr. Reagan's book, Living for Christ in the End Times. The book was originally written in the year 2000. 
Dr. Reagan has revised it and brought it up to date in a second edition that has just been published. The book describes in detail the secularization of American society and the epidemic of apostasy in the church. The subtitle of the book is Coping with Anarchy and Apostasy. The book is available for a donation of $20 or more, including shipping. Or you can order both the video and the book for a donation of $35 or more, including shipping. Just ask for offer number 682. To order any of these Bible study resources, call the number you see on the screen between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday, or you can place your order through our website at lamblion.com. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 